when pastor asked me to preach, I said, you got any particular theme? He said, no. And I said, well, how about discipleship? I've been discipling. We've discipled several couples in the church here. And most people have no concept of discipleship. Uh, and so I'd like to go through uh, some of these things tonight and give, get you a better idea uh, of discipleship. And if you have not been discipled, uh, you need to get discipled. You really do. You need to ask to be discipled. Uh, desire this. Because there's things you're going to pick up, things you already know will be covered. But as we go through this, you're going to see something I think that many people do not see. Uh, first of all, what is discipleship? Discipleship is bringing a believer to the point that they make Jesus Christ their authority. You say, well, I'm saved. That don't make no difference. Uh, I'm in church. I'm, I'm doing a few things. It makes no difference. Satan was doing a lot of, or, or Judas was doing a lot of things too. But he was called a disciple, but he was not a disciple. Judas was lost. And as you'll see here as we go through here, um, there, there's some other people that we, we would talk about. If you want to turn your book, uh, Bibles in John chapter 6. It's a very interesting passage here. Uh, John chapter 6, just to help us understand about disciples, uh, there, there's many false disciples, uh, like Judas. But in, in John chapter 6, and look in verse number 51. In verse number 51, Jesus begins talking here about being the bread of life. He's talking about salvation. And he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh and that I will give for the life of the world. Blew their circuit. Whenever you're reading in the New Testament, notice how what Jesus does and then what the disciples or what the, the people do, whether they're the Pharisees, whether they're the, the priests, or whether they're the disciples and all this. And you will find that those that were just there, they always thought in the flesh. Now, Jesus just said, I'm the bread of life. You're going to have to eat of my flesh. And what do they do as they go down? As you go down the passage, he, he said in verse 53, Jesus saith to them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, uh, ye have no life in you. And they did the same thing that the Catholics and the Lutherans and a lot of these different religions do. They cannot get past thinking in the flesh. Jesus is not talking about the flesh. He's not saying you got to come up here and bite me on the hand or something or drain my blood and drink it, become a vampire or something like this. But that's what the Catholics and Lutherans and a lot of these people teach. Because when he does his mumbo jumbo there, immediately he says, I'm changing this wine into the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm changing this wafer into the very body of Jesus Christ. And you, when you go into a Catholic church, always look up towards one of the sides, and usually up there you'll have a little box, and they'll have light on. You know why? That tells the people that Jesus Christ in the flesh is in that building. He's in that box. That's why when they, they do the communion, the Lord's Supper, they, they always scrape it up. They're very careful. They put it back in the thing, and that's what goes in, because they believe that is the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. 
Lutherans, same thing, except they do it a little different. When the pastor gives his thing, then he goes ahead and and when he puts it in your mouth, the, the wafer, or when you drink it, then it turns into the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. What's the problem? They're doing the same thing that the Jews did. They cannot get past the flesh. That's the way they think. That's the way lost people think. There's a difference between lost people and saved people and disciples. There's three different things here. So as you, as you read this, Jesus is simply talking about salvation. He said, you have, you have to receive me. And they could not get that. And so this is what he's talking about. As it goes on down here, go on down to, to verse number 60. He says, many, therefore, of his who? The term is used loosely in a general sense. You'll find out that they did not believe. They were not believers even. Although they were called disciples, they probably called themselves disciples. And general speaking, we would say, you know, uh, Christians go to church. Well, there's Christians all over the place, and there's a lot of lost people that go to church. So they use this, this term here, and he says that it, the disciples, okay, but then... Notice in verse number 64, he goes on down. Well, look in verse 63. Uh, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He's trying to tell them, look, you're thinking about the flesh. I'm talking about the spiritual matter. Uh, that's why in John chapter 3, Nicodemus could not get it through his head that Jesus was not talking about going up into his mother's womb and being born again. Uh, he couldn't get past the flesh. Jesus was talking about a spiritual birth. Nicodemus was thinking about a physical birth. Okay? So then you get to verse number 64. He says, but there are some of you, even though they were called, the people called them disciples, said, there are some of you that does what? Believe not. What was he talking about? Salvation. Receiving Christ. He said, you're called disciples, and some of you claim to be disciples. But he said, there are some of you that believe not. Now watch what he says. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, that general populace, and who should betray him? They're in the same category with Judas. Okay? They're non-believers here. So just because somebody calls themselves a disciple does not make them a disciple. Okay? Make sure you read the whole thing, otherwise it will confuse you. Remember, a disciple is someone that has come to the place that they will accept Jesus Christ as their authority. And we'll see this as we go on. The problem, I, I think, is we live in a consumer-driven culture. Okay? Everything is about us. When people come, uh, you know, uh, do you, what kind of entertainment do you have? Uh, why do they have these, these trap sets and, and, and all this, that, and the other? There was a man who went up to Chicago several years back. I remember when, when I was going to the mission field, and, and he went to Chicago. He was going to start a church. So what he did is he went to the whole community, surveyed the whole community, and he said, what do you want in a church? And then after he got the whole survey of what people wanted, he went and started a church like that. You can go to church out there in California, Rick Warren, and you can go down to his church and you can be exercising on the bike, listening to his preaching, and then go home. That's church. You can be in the swimming pool. You, there's people drive up in, in, in the movie theaters or the, the drive-in movies, they converted some of them, and you drive up there, take the little thing, put it on your window like we used to do, remember? 
and, and they can listen to the preaching. They don't have to dress up. They don't have to nothing. They got the dog in the back, you know, and, and the kids in there, you know, doing their thing. And when they're done or when they got to go on their little, little trip or go to the beach or something like that, then they can go ahead and just drive on out and nobody's the wiser. A consumer-driven culture has infected Christianity. Because now the worship has gotten to where it's all about the people and very little about Christ. I can take you to independent Baptist churches that it's like going to, to, to a bar. All the color lights and everything. Preacher don't preach from no pulpit. You know, just got a little old table and, and everything is so lax and cozy. And uh, What's the deal? We're there for the people. And, and, and we've missed this whole thing. But I think discipleship has, it, it was almost unheard of several years back. Because the independent Baptists, they were great on soul winning. They'd go out and, and reach somebody for Christ. But as soon as they reached them, they said, okay, come to church. And they would run someplace and, and they would go ahead and, I forgot to turn this on, didn't I? I've never needed one of these. <laughs> you learn to preach loud in Africa. in a little bit we'll go around the bush discipleship was was basically unheard of they'd get somebody saved they'd leave them and then they'd go try to get somebody else saved and consequently most of those people would just fall through the cracks you ever hear somebody say well i led somebody to christ and i can't get him to come to church well first of all you probably didn't lead him to christ when, when somebody gave you the gospel and you got saved, did you have a problem coming to church? And we have to hog tie you and drag you? Why? There's, there's a difference when people actually get saved instead of just saying, I'm a Christian or I'm a disciple. Now, there's a lot of people that are saved, but, but they're not disciples. And why I say that, I'm going to show you several scriptures here that, that explains what I'm, what I'm getting at here. Uh, understand, discipleship is trying to lead a disciple into the very blessings of God. When he's our authority, okay, he knows what's right, he knows what's wrong. He knows what's best, he knows what's bad. And he's written it to us in his word. Now, if we will just think a bit, okay, why did you have to get saved? Because you made the wrong choice. I made the wrong choice. We're all going the wrong direction. We're all sinners. No, not one person, God says, was coming to Jesus. We were all going away, okay? So we had to humble ourselves and come to Jesus Christ and ask him to be our savior. And many have done that. But that's as far as they, they really have gone. And, and I think part of it is, is the Independent Baptist fault. Now, many churches now have discipleship programs. But for many years back there... The, very little discipleship. You're just supposed to come to church and get what you can get. And, and, and that's, not, that's not what the Lord explained. So as a discipler, we're trying to lead people into the blessings of God. It's not a you can't do this and you can do this and you can't do that. And that's, that's not what it's all about. It's leading somebody into the blessings of God to where at this point, in their spiritual growth, they will say and believe Jesus Christ is my authority. Now, John chapter 8, verse 31. John chapter 8 and verse 31. 
Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Okay? So we're talking about saved people here, right? Jews that had put their faith in Christ. He said, Jesus said to the Jew, those Jews which believed in him, notice that next word, little word there called if. I'll circle that word. If ye continue in my word, then are you my disciples. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. Very interesting. The, word, the, the, the terminology there is to dwell in or to abide in, to continue in that word. It's not just, just enough to, to bring it to, to church when you, when you come to church. You're abiding, you're dwelling in. He said if you don't dwell in the word of God, you might call yourself a disciple. You're not. Okay? Now I'm just going to shoot straight. You can shoot back. That's all right. Got my bulletproof vest. John 13, verse 35. He says, By this shall all men know that ye are my what? Disciples. Here's that word again. If ye have love one to another. Boy, that'd knock a church split right in the head, wouldn't it? Is it any wonder people don't want to come to church because a lot of these churches are, they split and then they split from the split and then they split from the split from the split. And, and, and what have they done to the community? They've caused them to blaspheme God. A lot of people are in hell because of Baptists not loving one another. Honestly, I, I love this church. I, I've been to a lot of churches, and, and I've not seen a church quite like this. Not necessarily because my son's a pastor. He's my pastor, too. But there is a unity in this body. We are, we are so diverse from each other. But yet, we all get along. You say, well, there's somebody don't get along. Don't tell me about it. I don't want to hear it. Because <laughs> I don't know about it so far. It's, it's, it's unusual. And I think it's because of the discipleship program the pastor has, has, has put into place here. Now, what does loving one another look like? If you go to the Catholic Church and talk to the Catholics or go to the Pentecostal Church and talk to them or go to the, these other churches and talk to them and, and, and you say, do you love one another? Oh, yeah. And what do they do? They do these things. They do these things. They get involved in the community here. They do this. and They're not a disciple. He said, if you do these things, he says, all men are going to know you're different. You're my disciple. So what does it look like to love one another? I know a lot of Christians don't love one another. They're not his disciples. How do I know that? Because he said, you cannot be my disciple. You're not my disciple if you don't love one another. Now, there's a lot of unlovable people in this world. But Jesus loved them anyway. And he expects us to love them anyway. It can look in several, several different aspects. One, that we're probably one of the only or very few churches uh, in, in the state uh, that go soul winning. That go out and knock on doors and tell people about the Lord and things. There's, there's other, I know independent Baptists around that do. But almost no other church... Uh, does that uh, when we do that people are showing they may not agree with us they might not accept the material but they know there's something different about us we love people enough to sacrifice our time our comfort 
to go out and, and give literature to people and tell them about Jesus Christ and invite them to come to our church. I mean, that's unusual. You, you, you ever had a Catholic knock on your door and invite you to church? Lutheran? <laughs> you see, most of these people don't. And Jesus said that's one of the ways they're going to see that you're my disciple. Obedience. As we, as we are obedient to the Lord. The rest of the world is so deceitful and lying and cheating. They don't have to play by the rules. But we have to play by the rules. And when we obey the Lord and people see that, hey, we're not, we're not paying bribes, we're not doing this, we're not doing that, uh, we're not cheating, they see that there's a difference. All the world's going to see that you're my disciple. Okay. Maybe giving. I mean, love is giving. When you love one another, uh, you give to somebody you love. Okay? I'm not talking about roses or candy or stuff like that. But you give yourself. You give your time, your effort, your money, whatever it is necessary in that time to show people that you love them. Brother Jeff goes this, uh, what do you call it again? Yeah. Doing a great job. Several others are involved in, in that here in, the, in the, uh, the church as well. That excites me because they're giving of themselves and they're showing these kids that somebody really cares about them. Somebody loves them. I don't know how many times I... Donna, you're, you're always praying for everybody because you're always out there visiting them, aren't you? Why? giving of yourselves not just money that's not it's not just a husband wife type of love it's a it's a genuine agape love it's a love that Jesus Christ had for the world and so giving the gospel to somebody whether you know don't make any difference what they look like what color they are what brand don't make any difference you love them you love their soul enough to go out and give them the gospel you love them enough to obey the Lord even though it will cost you. It's going to cost you maybe a job. It may cost you a promotion. But the whole concept, don't think of it as, oh, I'm not going to get this promotion. No. Think of it as God is using you in the heart of that boss, in the heart of these other people that you work with that know you should have been promoted, but you're not going to get down in the mud and, and badmouth the boss and cuss him and all this, that, and the other. You're just going to give glory to God and go on. All men are going to see that you're my disciple through this obedience. And just the fact that you, you, you're like Christ. You show forth that love of God in their hearts and minds. Look in John 15 and verse number 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. He said, when you bear much fruit, you are called my disciple. Could be... Fruit, as we think of soul winning, witnessing to people, giving tracts, whatever, inviting them to church, bringing them to the gospel. But it also could be the fruit of the Spirit. When they see your love, your joy, your long-suffering, your gentleness, your meekness, your kindness, when they see all of that, they're seeing Christ in you. And he says, so I want you not just to bear fruit. I want you to bear much fruit. And when we do this, he says, so shall you be my disciples. Notice in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We'll look at two different verses there, verse 26 and 27. And this has always given people a lot of, a lot of trouble. Uh, I don't know why, but it does. But it says in Luke 14, verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and also his li own life also. 
We always say, well, it's his, his love towards his family. No, towards himself too. It goes beyond just other people. It's himself. He says, the love that we have for ourselves, the love we have for our family, in comparison to the love of, for we have for Jesus Christ, should almost look like hate. To the world, anyway. He says, if we do not do that, if we do not show that, that love for Christ more than our families, he says, he cannot be my disciple. Is he saved? Yeah. But he's not a disciple of Christ. There's a special category. There's people that, that maybe they're saved, you know, fire escape. And they, you know, they got their ticket to heaven or something, but uh, that's about as far as they go in their spiritual life. Now, he says in verse 27, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's comparing that love that we have for the, our, our kinfolk, ourself, the world, compared to the love of Jesus Christ. That we would surrender the authority in our life to him so that we can become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? All right. Luke 14, verse 33 so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I didn't write the book. Three times now he said, you cannot be my disciple. Didn't say you're lost. Matter of fact, he said these folks were saved. But he said there's a difference between just being saved and being a disciple. We, we've talked about several things. He said you continue in my word. You have love one to another. You bear much fruit. And you truly love Christ. Enough to forsake all. Forsake all. This is why it really disturbed me when I, and I haven't seen this in this church at all, but in many churches that I preach in, you, you actually have, have parents that have come up to us and said, look, I, I don't want my kids to go to the mission field. I want them to be a doctor. I want them to be a banker. I want them to be able to make uh, good money so they don't have to sacrifice and everything. Why would you not want your children to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? There's no greater calling than to give your heart and life, not just your soul, but your life to him. Now, you, you didn't have enough sense. I didn't have enough sense to come to Jesus for salvation until I was at the bottom. And boy, I mean, the only way to look was up. And, and there he was with his arms wide open. But what makes me think that now, after I got saved, I have any more common sense than I had before? If you was going the wrong way before because of the dumb choices you made, you're still making dumb choices. And that's why we have to immerse ourselves in the word of God. That's why we have to dwell in the word of God. Because as we are dwelling in the word of God, we're getting the mind of Christ. We're making decisions based on what he said. Whether I understand it or not makes no difference. But if he said it, he knows a whole lot more than I do, so I'm just going to obey. If he says go to Africa, I'm going to say yes, sir. If he says go to Chicago... I'd say, yes, sir. Because he knows what's best. 
And if I couldn't make right decisions before, what makes me think I'm going to make the right decisions now? I have to make my decisions based on the Word of God. And that means making Him the, th- the authority. He is the master. He tells me where to go. He tells me what to do. He tells me what friends to have. He tells me what to put on in the morning. He tells me what, what to eat, what, what not to drink, what to drink, all, everything. But the problem is we get saved and we think, okay, I'm saved. Now I can just go ahead and run my life. How many times in this study in, 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 uh, on Wednesday night, as pastor said, you know, that we're just running our own lives. We can't do that. Now, let me go quickly through a few things. What we've become is, is a consumer of religion instead of cultivators of a spiritual life. Okay? Now, people say this, uh, and these are some of the things that I have, I have heard myself as a pastor and things. Well, I'll follow if it doesn't cost me too much. Well, do you expect me to be involved? <laughs> do I have to give? I'm not coming to your church because you preach on money. Do you have to dress up? Well, does the service go more than an hour? It depends on who's preaching. (laughs) Is it too hot? Too cold? They won't come back. Do you help with gas? And do you help with food and stuff like this? What's the problem? The consumer culture is what am I going to get out of it? What's in it for me? I've had had people say that. What's in it for me? And they have no idea that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is all about him. What can I do for him? How can I serve him? Not what can he do for me? And when you cut off some of these, what can, what can I do or what, what can I get, uh, you find people, they won't come back. Why? They were never disciples of Christ because it was all about them. Now, we, we, we've actually succumbed to that, that culture of the world. Uh, turn in Romans chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. Romans chapter 1. And verse number one. I remember memorizing this passage walking up and down the street over in Naples, Italy. Instead of going out to the bars, I just got saved and I, I stayed there at the hotel and I'd read my Bible and I'd walk up and down the street trying to memorize scripture. And this is one of the first passages I ever learned. And boy, I'm glad because it, there is so much there. We're just going to touch on it just a little bit. Uh, one of my my... Uh, professors in college, he, they, he made us do some observations. And just in these two verses, there was, oh, I, I had over 80 different observations. He had many more because <laughs> he really knew it. It says in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, who? Brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your bodies... A living sacrifice. Can you put that picture on there, brother? A living sacrifice. If you understand this passage, it is talking about the Old Testament sacrifices. They had a dead sacrifice. And he wants us to make a living sacrifice, but the the whole concept is the same, referring back to the Old Testament sacrifices. He said, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, 
which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Wouldn't you like to be in a perfect will of God? Oh, my. We're just going to keep that picture up there because we're going to refer to it as we go along here. Uh, first of all, have we, have we really presented our bodies to him? I mean, really. When did you do that? I didn't say when you get saved. We're talking about discipleship here. Becoming a disciple. Many people are saved. They're not disciples. He said, I want you to present your body a living sacrifice. When did you present your body? What's Jesus want of me? I, love, I appreciate that message this morning. Uh, what's he want? What's he want of you? He tells us right here. This is not just a, a, a public dedication or something like this, you know, when you come say, I'm dedicating my body to the Lord. No, that's not it. That's good. That's fine. But that's not it. It's a spiritual decision on every individual Christian's part. Okay. Again, don't think fleshly, think spiritual. It is a spiritual decision when you and I come directly before God and we present our bodies just as if we were, we were presenting him with something. Here is my body. That's exactly what they were doing with the sacrifice. They were presenting that in their place. He was the substitute. Okay? Now, understand something. It didn't make any difference with a lamb or a bullocks or any of that. The sacrifices basically were the same there. The sacrifice cost the sinner everything. It cost him everything. He had to get the very best lamb that he had, period, or the very best bullocks. He couldn't get one of the scrubs. He couldn't just, just go out there and just grab one. No, no. They had to get the best. They had to pin it up 14 days. They had to watch it, make sure there's no blemishes, no spots, anything. They had to offer their best. Can you imagine one of these old farmers out here and they got the best bull in the county? And they mess up and have to bring that bull and give it to the priest and watch him kill it. The very best that they had, that's what they had to offer. Let me ask you something. What you got to offer? You're not wanting your money. You are the sacrifice. You and I are the sacrifice. That's why he said, I want you to present your body. Nobody else has control over your body. You do. My body, my choice, right? You can, you can offer that to God. That's what he wants you to do. That's what he's telling us here to do. Uh, the sacrifice is brought humbly. He didn't come up there grumbling and say, well, you know, I, man, it's my best bull. What am I, what, why do you got me giving my best bull? I could produce more cows and then give, give one out of there. No, it, they come humbly before the Lord. I'm doing an exciting study. Go and check in the Bible, throughout the Bible, who when anybody ever come into the presence of God. You see John flat on his face before God. You see Moses flat on his face before God. 
Joshua and Moses both taking off their shoes and getting, getting before God. There, there was a humility. And when they brought that sacrifice, it was because of sin. And it was costing them a lot. And so they had to come in a humble manner. They had to acknowledge God's position. He, he was the head. He was sovereign. He is my authority. He's the one that's telling me to do this. Kind of like tithing. Do we sit down and figure up to the very penny? Or do we say, don't make any difference, let's round it up. <laughs> do, how do we, in our service to the Lord, do we just half-hearted? No, God says, it can, it's going to cost us. That's what a sacrifice is. Then, the sacrifice was slain. It was dead. It was killed. How many times has a preacher been preaching on dying to self, dying to self, dying to self? That's what we're doing as a living sacrifice. We are bringing our body, ourself, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are dying to our desires and we are acknowledging you are the authority. What do you want me to do? And then whatever he says, then obey. Wasn't, wasn't taken at home or anything. Uh, notice the, the sacrifice is presented on the altar. It had to be put on the altar and burned up. People, you know, well, God... I'm here. If you want me, you come get me. No, no. He's not chasing you down. You are to go to him and say, oh, God, <laughs> I'm yours. Anything you want, here's my body. And my body controls everything in my life. You're presenting it to him humbly as a living sacrifice. God, I'm dead to myself. I, I'm not going to make decisions on what pleases me. I want what pleases you. And that's what we're talking about in this sacrifice. You bring it and you present it to him. Then the sacrifice is consumed by the fire. There's nothing taken back. It's all totally consumed. It's not you're going to get a benefit out of that. Not what you can get at all. That's your sacrifice. And God will take it. I don't remember the day, but I remember it was a Sunday morning when I was in Bible college and Sherry and I went out, we were working in, in a chapel ministry. Uh, it's a small church that you try to help get going and everything. And I'm not sure what the preacher preached on that day, but it rung my bell. And I went over that little altar around the side, there, just a little place there. I gave everything I had to God. <coughs> I gave my children to God. I gave my wife to God. I gave my money, I gave my, my vehicles, I, everything I could think of. I said, God, everything, I, I'm yours, whatever you want to do with me. And I meant it. This presentation, you bring it, and you present it to him in that humble sincerity, and God will take it. He took all my children. And he turned them into missionaries and preachers. I would never have chosen that. See, God knows better. I, just over and over, I keep getting texts from my grandson over there in, in, in Africa. And he'll say, well, this last Sunday, he said, we had seven saved, Grandpa. He said, I got to talk to him on my birthday and a little FaceTime thing. He said, yeah, I, I led this guy to Christ. He said, pray for him. He, he just, I'm not, I'm not sure about him, but he, he received Christ. And when your grandchildren are winning souls, man, you can't put a price on that. 
God knows better. But the sacrifice must be accepted by God. He's got to accept the sacrifice. That's why he says that sacrifice must be holy. Holy. Not your idea of holy and my idea of holy. It's what this book says is holy. And we've become a consumer Christianity. We haven't gone back and studied. I had my students out there in West Coast. I said, I want every one of you to do a study on holiness. And several of them come back. And even later on in the years, they said, that that changed my life. It changed my perspective. Because God said, I'm holy. Be ye holy. He said, present your body a living sacrifice, holy. Because if it's not holy, he's not going to accept it. And we are not his disciple. Acceptable unto God. I might meet your standards, you might meet mine. But it's not our standards that we're talking about. We're dealing with a holy God that created the universe, that created you and me, that sustains us, that keeps us going. Every beat of our heart is in his hands. And when we come to worship him, I see churches that after services, it looks like they've been let out from the football game. I'm serious. They're wearing their jerseys and stuff like this and all that. You know, they bring their lunch and uh, wait a minute. We come to worship Almighty God. And as a discipler, I want to bring that person to where they will come to the house of God to worship Him. I worry about programs and stuff like that. I've been so excited when I've dealt with our, our people here and it, just the attitude that they have. They want to serve God and they're excited about serving God. And it just, that, that's a blessing. We have to come to the point that he is my authority. And he says, I want you to come and I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's going to affect the physical. When you make a spiritual decision, it affects your body, affects the rest of you. There's a lot of people that will conform corporately to the rules, but they don't want them, and they don't like them. I've had missionaries over there, and I said, I, I could not do what you're doing. You disagree with our mission board. You, you, you disagree with our policy and procedures, yet... You'll use their name to get support and everything. I said, I I couldn't go to sleep at night. I would have to resign. And as the Lord worked it out, none of them are with the board anymore, not not even on the field. It's not what we can get. That's a consumer mentality. But everything about what we can get because it's all about him. It's all about him. Now I've got to run fast. I'm only on page two of my three pages of notes. So how do I do that? How do I present my body living sacrifice? I'm going to go quickly. Be not conformed to this world. That's what he said. This is how you do it. Be not conformed to this world. Your ideology. Your, your pastor's been talking about your worldview. That's what we're talking about there. The system of of principles, what you, where you set your line, your standards, your beliefs, this ideology, we, can't, we cannot conform it to the world. And this is what you see churches and denominations doing all over. Now they've got sodomites preaching in the, in the pulpits. They, they've got women sodomites as their pastors. They've, they, the, the open bars in their services like a cocktail hour 
consumer Christianity. We need to get back to the fundamentals. Uh, you know, it, it, the fundamentals are, are, are what you actually believe, what you hang your hat on, what you will die for. Okay? I, I put them in four or five categories that I, that I taught my students. God's word. Is it complete? Is, is, what version are you using? What, you know, all this stuff. The final authority. Is it the final authority? If it is, we're going to have to change. God's person. Who is God? Have you, have you ever sat down and just said, God, who are you? How can I even prove that you exist? Do I even, am I just talking to the air? And begin to understand and look at what God does and how he does it and why he does it. And when you begin to see the love that God has for you and me, oh, brother, that'll change your life, I'm telling you. God's son. Uh, Really, who is Jesus Christ to you? Is he just take it to heaven? He's just a good old boy that's preaching or something? Me and Jesus got our own thing going? That's what my brother said. And God's grace, the salvation, how do we get saved, the liberty, the standards, the love, uh, you know, the obedience, all of that. People say you, you don't mix or don't talk about religion and don't talk about politics. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you cannot help but do that. Leave your religion at the door then I'm going to stand outside the door because Jesus lives in my heart. I can't leave him at the door. Well, just don't talk about him. Wait a minute. He's my mouth. This isn't my body. This is his mouth. I can't, I can't say bad things. I can't swear. I was over to the dentist the other day trying to get rid of it. I told late, would you shut this TV off? There's a cartoon Kids cartoon, filthy, the cussing and taking God's name in vain and just filthiness. Am I telling the truth? And she shut it off. Listen, we've got to come to this point to where we are willing to take a stand. The church and the government, the home, you cannot just put God out of the picture. He, he's, if he was in our government, we would have a government. <laughs> we don't know what we've got right now. But all of, the, all of the crazy stuff. You cannot take God from your work because he's running your body. You can't take him out of your thinking because his mind is supposed to be our mind. You can't take him out of the home. That's the way you're supposed to raise your children and treat your husband and treat your wife and and everything about it. It's all, it all has to do with that. That's why, you know, the the world is dishonest. They lied, they deceive. It's all about self, the sexuality, the drinking, the drugs, the false worship. Everything's all about self. But God says in Titus 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. He's told us what to do here. He's given us the instruction. So if we are embedded in the word of God and we have acknowledged him as the authority, we should just obey what he says. Flee, deny ungodliness, worldly lust. He he tells us the next thing we're supposed to do. Be transformed. Be transformed. It's metamorpho, which we get our metamorphosis from. the, The change from one thing to another. That's why he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, All things are become new. 
He's here to change us. I heard pastor say something the other night. Uh, how do you say it? Some people say, well, that's just the way I am. You ever hear that? God's here to change just who you are. He's not here to keep you the same way. You, you see me now in a, in a, in a suit and, and, and preaching and things like this. You didn't, you didn't see us before. And I'm glad you didn't. You cannot imagine the wicked life that my wife led. <laughs> As I was leading her hand. <laughs> but when we got saved, we didn't say that, stay the same way. There was a metamorphosis. There was a change in your life. When's the last time you've seen something change in your life? It, 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 it's supposed to be constantly changing. He says not only by not conforming to the world or being transformed, but by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew the mind? This book. I've cleansed you by the washing of the water by the word. The more you get the word in, the more that sin comes out. The more you get the word in, the more it does its job. And as you confess sin, the Holy Spirit then fills the believer. Because now there's room to put something there. When you get that old junk out, that renewing or renovating that takes place makes a person different than they were. Are you different than you were last year? Are you really different than you were last year? Conformity comes from wrong thinking. We, we weren't thinking straight before we got saved. And that's why we had to get to the bottom and, and, and look up. But now that we're saved, we still don't think right unless we're basing it on the word of God. And when we conform, it's because of wrong thinking. Much of the, of the Christian life, the, the battle is in the mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 1 Peter 1, 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. You, you put a hedge about it. You, you, you get in that fighting position. You get ready uh, to take on the things of the world. We must change our thinking through the word. How do we do that? By discipling people in the word of God. See, we don't want everybody to join our church. I don't know if you're aware of that. We don't. We want people to join this church that agree with God that make him their authority, that make this their final authority, that will learn and follow him. When you do that, you have unity. When you do that, you have people serving. I mean, pastor, they was always asking for people in, for the vacation Bible school volunteers. I mean, they was about ready to start sending half of us home. There was so many. I've had preachers and other people tell me they've never seen anything like this on vacation Bible school. They're always having to pull people in. Man, everybody, just almost the whole church was there. That comes from the change in thinking, a change in your authority. What pleases him instead of what pleases me? You know, if a preacher starts preaching about holiness and separation, Christians begin to cringe. You know why? Because you want the world. That's why we cringe. Is he going to say something about this? Is he going to say something about this? I hope he don't say nothing about that because I want to keep that. Why? The world. We are conformed to the world. And it doesn't make any difference what he says in his word. We want to do it our way. That's not a disciple. 
A disciple is one that gives him the authority of everything. That brings that sacrifice of himself personally to God and says, God, here it is. Here's my body. And God, as best as I can, I've confessed my sin. I believe I'm right with you. And and I'm presenting my body a living sacrifice that is holy. And God, I hope it's acceptable to you. He said, God says, I like that meek and quiet. That broken, humble heart. That's what he's looking for. Now, football. Chiefs are going to win. I mean, playing tonight. However, when they go to training camps, and you've heard many times when they've interviewed a coach or, or something like this, or, well, what's the problem here? Well, we've got to get back to the basics. When they go to training camp, what do they do? They go back to the fundamentals. They go back to the basics. Alignment, tackling, blocking, pursuit, turnovers, or creating turnovers in baseball. Uh, fielding, throwing, catching, uh, all the different aspects of, of baseball. Can you imagine somebody coming to training camp and the coach says, all right, we need to go back to fundamentals. And somebody says, I don't need that. How long do you think they're going to last in training camp? Every child of God should be discipled. Say, so, well, I don't need that. More than you think you do. Every child of God should should submit themselves to discipleship. Some of the things are going to be reviewed. That's good. You need to review over and over. But everybody needs to go through that. Why? So that we can come to that point that Jesus Christ is my authority. He is my master. He is my Lord. And God, I'm bringing you myself as that sacrifice. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I but Christ liveth in me. That's what we're talking about. That's what discipleship is all about. It's not just going through certain lessons, but it's bringing people to just a little bit closer, a little bit closer. They're reviewing what they've already known. They're learning a few more things, and they've got that attitude and that spirit that, God, I just want to please you. I just want to love you and I want to do whatever it takes. Here I am. Basics that we cover in discipleship, basically the same thing as they do in baseball and football. Ours is reading. You need to know the book. You need to study prayer, having that relationship with God. Uh, Being faithful in church. The faithful example that encourages other people. Holy, living that holy testimony before the other believers, encouraging them and the community so that all men can see that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are not supposed to look like the world. We're not supposed to talk like the world. We're not supposed to act like the world. Our lives are supposed to be different. And if we present our body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, we will prove to the world what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand even more why we disciple and why everyone needs to be discipled. And Lord, as we take a look at the, what we've talked about here, that, 
that sacrifice. Lord, may each one of us go back to that day when we did make that sacrifice and Lord even renew it. But if those that have not done that, I pray God that they'd not just be saved, but they would be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, showing forth Jesus to this world. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. Oh, we got to do the offering. I'm sorry. I lost control of my body. We, can we get a couple guys to take up the offering? See how.